Hello and welcome to Cover to Credits, the bi-weekly podcast where we discuss books and their movie adaptations. I'm Ian George. And I'm Adina Hilton. In this episode, we'll be discussing The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy was written by Douglas Adams and published in 1979. And the movie adaptation that we're talking about uh, came out in 2005 and was directed by Garth Jennings. The... Garth Jennings that completely disappeared off the map after directing this movie. <laughs> Probably from shame. For, for reasons we'll be discussing, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, so Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. This is exciting because it's such a popular concept. <laughs> yeah. There's more to it than just the book, you know. Mm-hmm. This started out as a radio broadcast that Douglas Adams wrote and was part of for the BBC And then only later, once it was so popular, was it turned into a book. So technically, this is an adaptation of an adaptation of an adaptation. Which has had other adaptations, including a TV show that came out in the BBC. And there's been a play. So this, the Hitchhiker's universe is really big. And if you want to be a purist, (laughs) technically the radio show would be its truest form because it was first. If we tried to cover all of the variations though, we would just, you'd be listening to a podcast of two people just confused and being like, no, that was the radio. Wait, that was in the TV show. No, 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 you're wrong (laughs) because that would be the entire length of the episode. So Yeah, and Douglas Adams himself was constantly kind of changing things and evolving the Hitchhiker's universe. So, It's really difficult to, and we're going to avoid saying that one is like the true version because, you know, it just has been evolving. Because even in this movie, uh, which came out after he died, correct? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, He still uh, helped out with and wrote part of it. Yeah. So characters that weren't in the book or the uh, radio show, he Mm -hmm. still created it for for the movie? Yeah, specifically for the movie. So it's still like from his mind. Yeah. So once again, it's like the line blurs with this kind of adaptation yeah so we're going to be discussing the first book hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy and uh, the movie that it's based on and that's pretty much one-to-one you know Mm -hmm. there's other storylines and other books and etc but we're just going to stick to this one yeah there may be i don't think there's a lot but there may be references to the other books and stuff i know there isn't like they mentioned the titles yeah. by name mm-hmm. and some things uh if there's any deeper level of reference though we're probably not going to get it since yeah. this is the only one we this was our introduction to douglas adams mm-hmm. so yeah so forgive us for not being <laughs> as educated on mm-hmm. douglas adams as we should be and it was a fun time reading it so. yeah yeah this is the everyman's view of the adaptation <laughs> yeah so the movie starts off uh well the book starts off just introducing us to the character yeah. of Arthur, mm-hmm. who's kind of just a uh, British dude, British regular guy, yeah. you know, just kind of living his life. He has a, a house, and he. The book starts off with it being uh, they're going to demolish it. Yeah. The city's going to demolish it to put in a uh, a bypass, a highway bypass. And he's obviously very upset about this. And there's a whole joke about how um, the guy that's in charge of the construction crew is like, oh, the plans for this have been on file (laughs) in your local council office or something. And, you know, Arthur's like, I had to go all the way down to the basement and into like some hidden files to find it. Yeah, in a back room. and Yeah. yeah. Uh, So he tries to protest by laying in front of the bulldozer. Mm -hmm. And that's when his uh, friend shows up, uh, Ford Prefect. Yeah. 
And Ford, unknown to Arthur at this point, is actually an alien. Yeah, from somewhere around Beetlejuice. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And so he's a very odd, kind of eccentric personality. Mm -hmm. And in the movie, you find out that this backstory is that Arthur, like, saved him. Yeah. Apparently saved his life because Mm -hmm. when he first came to Earth, he thought that cars were the dominant life form. (laughs) And so he was trying to introduce himself to a car on the road as it was speeding towards him. Yeah, and... He chose the name Ford Prefect because that's actually a car model. Yeah. Uh, so Ford shows up and he there's a great uh, interaction in the book where Ford is talking to uh, the guy in charge of the construction team that's going to uh-huh. knock down the house. Because Arthur doesn't want to leave. Yeah. And Ford needs him to. And Ford convinces uh, this construction manager that he's like, for, he's like, my friend has to leave. Yeah. So someone needs to lay in this spot <laughs> in his place. And he, like, there's this whole interaction that's super funny. Mm-hmm. And he convinces this manager to lay in front of the bulldozer for yeah. him on his behalf. He's like confused as to why he's doing it, but he ends up doing it anyway. And it's a great kind of wordplay, funny, conf- you know. Logic. Yeah. Puzzle kind of. Wh- that you know, the movie doesn't have. No. And so kind of as soon as the movie begins and you see that, I'm like, ooh. I, you know, I had I had seen the movie a long time ago mm-hmm. uh, and had no memory of how I felt about it. Yeah. Uh, so I was kind of going into it fresh. And I knew it wasn't great, at least based on most people's opinions. Yeah. And this was kind of furthering it's that. It's such a... Douglas Adams has such a specific sense of humor. And so it's really hard to get that in the movie, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, what did you think of the opening musical sequence? Oh, yeah. So the movie starts off with uh, an opening musical number mm-hmm. by the dolphins. Yeah. Uh, which, like, literally just dolphins around the world because they are actually a higher intelligence than, than humans. humans. <laughs> then There's a narration in the movie throughout that explains yeah. this. And the dolphins, like, leave Earth before the humans because they know it's about to be destroyed. Yeah. Uh, so it starts off with a musical number. Where uh, they're just singing about how they're leaving. And so it, the line of it is, so long and thanks for all the fish. <laughs> yeah. It's a really it's a really good start, I think, to yeah, the movie. Yeah, I think so too. Um, at first you're like, I'm not sure is this too silly, but I think it works well with the movie. I enjoyed it. It's a catchy tune, so. <laughs> yeah, and it is tied into a, a book reference later on. Yeah. They talk about it later on in the book then. At the beginning, but, mm-hmm. you know, it's still from the source material. Yeah. It kind of introduces you to this goofy, kind of heady uh, humor that's going to be in it. So it's a really good start to the uh, the movie, I think. Yeah, and the narrator is Stephen Fry, which is perfect. Yeah, and great great he, choice for that. He narrates a lot of the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, something I also want to talk about is, even though the that musical number was good at yeah. the beginning, I did not like the score mm-hmm. in this film. See, I didn't notice it that much, but I don't haven't paid attention to that stuff as much as you have in the past. So it, it's kind of it's this really bad. It's very uh, obvious, you mm-hmm. know. It's very in the forefront of scenes, especially. Yeah. I really noticed it in the bulldozer scene, mm-hmm. and it's kind of this bouncy, goofy kind of like it's just trying. It's just drawing attention to the fact that this is supposed to be a funny scene. Okay, and yeah. it's one of those deals where I think it'd be much more effective if it was just silent. You mm-hmm. know, and you let the characters yeah, let the play dialogue the work. Yeah. Instead, like the music's kind of like, hey, hey, this is a, this is a funny scene. This is a joke. Yeah, and you're it's kind of like taking away from it. Mm-hmm. And I felt that way with a lot of the, 
I don't know, the music was just too goofy for hmm. me, just too jovial. Yeah, I'm sure it was difficult for Hollywood to kind of get this and how to present it. They're probably like, okay, so it's really sarcastic and <laughs> kind of makes fun of everything, but we have to make it like funny and funny for the whole family. So peppy music. I don't know. Yeah, it's <laughs> tough to say what the the thought was. Mm-hmm. It's one of those deals where I feel like this movie would have been much better with that kind of wry like British humor. Yeah. Like in the Monty Like maybe Python. the British should have made the movie instead <laughs> of Americans. Yeah, I I have no and I honestly I don't even know who produced it and who made it. Like I don't know. I think Disney. Did okay, really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that I mean it makes sense like cuz there are changes to the story we'll talk about that feel like a stu- like studio Hollywood. executives yeah. were like, "Okay, we definitely need to add this to mm-hmm. it." Um, so Ford Prefix shows up to the demolition. He takes Arthur to the bar and is telling him he needs to drink a lot of beer. Yeah. And he's openly telling everyone at the bar the world's going to end. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a pretty good scene in the book and the movie. Yeah. And Arthur is so focused on his house. He's like, my home's going to be destroyed. And Ford's like, oh, you know. And he's like, yes, my house. And he's like, <laughs> oh, oh, you mean your house. I mean, the earth is going to be destroyed. <laughs> so it's this really funny juxtaposition where Arthur's house is going to be demolished and he's so concerned about it. And then Ford's trying to get them off the planet because the whole earth is going to be destroyed. And it's great because when the alien ships do arrive, Mm -hmm. they uh, voice over a message to earth. Yeah. Telling them that they're being demolished for an intergalactic highway. Yeah. And that the plans have been on 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 file in their star system for like 50 years, millions of years or something. I think it's 50. It might only be 50, (laughs) but, um, but yeah, so it's, I love just that contrast of like Mm -hmm. Arthur's problem on a small scale. And then it being this like global galactic issue as well. Yeah. And so Ford, ends up hitchhiking onto one of the alien ships that have come to destroy the Earth, and he takes Arthur or Arthur with him. So they both go up mm-hmm. um, into the ship right when the Earth is being destroyed. Yeah. It, it, it's just a great setup. I love the, the humor of it, this kind of existential, like, Arthur's tiny problems and then the larger problems of the world, which are still small in comparison to, like... The universe. The universe. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and uh, no one really gives a shit about Earth. No. <laughs> I think, And I think Douglas Adams. Honestly, if anyone listening is a fan of Rick and Morty... Yeah. I think you'd really like this movie. It's, yeah. it's obviously not as dark. Or in the book. I think you, the book and the whole The series, book. I'm yeah. sorry. Yeah, not the movie. Mm. Yeah. But uh, the book, definitely, uh, you should give a read. Like, it's not as dark, mm-hmm. but it does have that same kind of, like... Nothing matters. Yeah, existential horror. Yeah. Like, yeah. So mm-hmm. it's it's a good one. I think you should give it a read. And they do that funny pan in the movie, though. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> there's a great... When the ships have finally, like, covered Earth. Yeah. And Ford is trying to hitchhike. He's, like, shooting a beam up to catch and, like, pull them up. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> There's this dramatic pan back, mm-hmm. like from the sky, and there's this musical like da 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 yeah da 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 that keeps like going farther and farther back. It's just so funny a- across this huge ship, and it's really good because I think it made me think of a very Monty Python kind of joke yeah. in the movie, and it was one that I felt was more effective. Using, like, an audio gag and as well as visual, you know? Yeah, yeah. It made me think of the gag in uh, The Holy Grail when 
the one night's running at the castle and they just keep looping the same footage of him in the distance. <laughs> It'll cut back to the people watching him and then come back, cut back to the same, him being the same distance away. And, you know, so it's that kind of humor. Yeah. That's when it's implemented, it's good in this movie, but just not enough. Yeah, they don't really keep it up. So they get on the, uh, the Vogon ship. Yeah. And uh, this is where Arthur starts to realize what happened yeah yeah and he's kind of freaking out and ford's trying to explain to him but also ford sort of can't be bothered he's like yeah i'm sorry about your planet but like we have bigger concerns because we're on the vogon ship and they hate hitchhikers so they'll probably try to kill us so arthur's kind of like in shock and isn't really accepting that the earth has been destroyed and this is where ford tells arthur that he's actually a writer for a guidebook called The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Yeah, and uh, which in the book is kind of a handheld device. It's an electronic book, and it's the same in the movie. Yeah. And I really like the movie, what they kind of tried to do with it. Yeah. Where it's a kind of a tablet almost that he opens up, and there's some really great uh, animated uh cutscenes when where they're explaining something the book is explaining something yeah and they do these really great visual um infographic type yeah yeah, yeah. and mm-hmm. they kind of illustrate jokes within what's being joked about yeah i do have to say though that you know the humor which a lot of it's pulled directly from the book mm-hmm. uh it's very I don't know how you want to say it dense and wordy yeah and i think sometimes the movie is too rapidly like reading keeping through. all the dialogue and yeah it's too quick and i think a lot of these jokes don't have room to breathe yeah and you can't really catch everything that's all the jokes that are being made i do like it when they have those scenes because it's like scenes from the hitchhiker's guide so it's like you're reading it and it's like entries in the guide but i think they kind of used it too much or some of them went on too long so yeah. i think maybe if they were shorter entries or if they were spaced out so they were used for maximum, like, laugh. I totally, especially at the beginning. It's very dense at the beginning. Yeah. There's a lot of entries. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then it kind of disappears. Yeah. And if it was more spaced out, like, maybe three entries throughout the whole movie at, like, really great, you know, thematic points or mm-hmm. when something's happening to characters and they, they just, like, take a moment to step aside and be like, did you know about the universe? <laughs> like, this thing, this thing. I think that would be a more effective use of it. Whereas I kind of got tired of it sort of quickly because like you said, they were all sort of at the first half of the movie and then not at all at the end. Yeah, because they tell you about like the Vogons and Mm -hmm. then like the um, Ford puts a... Babblefish. A babblefish in Arthur's Arthur's ear ear. and Mm -hmm. the babblefish will like uh, interpret uh, what other languages and like translate them into the person's brain. So it's kind of a way around that like Arthur understands everyone. Yeah. Which Mm -hmm. I really appreciate though, because I always hate in uh, movies when there's other galaxies and universes and just everyone speaks English. I know you're like, are you shitting me? (laughs) And there's, there's a great book part in the book where um, Douglas Adams talks about the babblefish and its very existence. Yeah. Causing controversy among people because they say it's like proof that God existed. Yeah. It, it's it's another... He goes into a lot of tangents in the book. So many tangents. But they're all really funny. They're so funny. They're great. And yeah. that's kind of almost like the purpose of the book. Like the plot is just kind of a loose framework for a lot of these different... Absurd asides. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we already talked a little bit about how this 
book is kind of about the absurdity of the universe. Um, but there's a part where there's an aside in the book after the earth is destroyed and blown up where the book takes the time to tell you that around that moment, a ship was being invented that would make uh, interstellar highways obsolete. So <laughs> it's like the earth was destroyed for no reason, yeah. you know, because now new technology, they don't even need those interstellar highways that the earth was destroyed for. So that just furthers that idea that, you know, everything's sort of meaningless, things happen and people want to see deeper meaning in it or like these coincidences and the improbability of it all. And I think that's the idea that like, it's so absurd that the universe exists in the first place yeah. that everything that happens is just ridiculous. That's true because like the book does, we'll get into it later, but improbability yeah. is a huge factor in this book and like the chances of things happening yeah. and coincidences. But they keep happening. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. almost as uh, just easy plot like points for the book to kind yeah. of, for the way things happen. And it, but it's so aware of it. Yeah, it acknowledges it. And so it's really smart the way it sets everything up. Yeah. And then, so the Vogons find them on the ship and capture them. And this is where we get to talk about Vogon poetry. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the Vogons are the third worst poets in the uh, in the universe. Yeah. Uh, the second is a species that like basically like self-destructed, I think. Because of poetry. Because of their own poetry. <laughs> and there's a great joke in the, it's in, kept in the movie too, where they were like, the worst po- poetry was... Um, by, a woman in America or by something. Kathy Darling uh, in uh, New Jersey, who was luckily destroyed like five minutes ago in the destruction <laughs> of Earth. So they are being read poetry to, and their Ford is in like excruciating pain. Yeah, I love in the book they strap them to equipment. Yeah, to like pro- to make sure they're properly interpreting like the rhythm and cadence <laughs> and like all these different things are like strapped. maximize their poetry experience yeah <laughs> and so um they try to tell the vogons that their poetry is actually really good and like giving this really bullshit like poetry analysis analysis <laughs> yeah but the vogons don't buy it because they don't give a shit about anything they're just bureaucratic assholes basically mm-hmm. they're just um, all they care about is the bureaucracy and the system and paperwork and all that craziness. Yeah, and they're used a lot to poke fun at that idea of the, yeah. these huge bureaucratic of government, you know, governments and systems that are completely inefficient. Uh, yeah, so they eject Arthur and Ford from their ship, and then they're instantly picked up by the Heart of Gold spaceship. Which the improbability of this happening is like some thousand million to one <laughs> yeah yeah the, um they're picked up and rescued immediately yeah and i think we should i, I want to talk briefly about uh the, the production design okay yeah of, of the movie because mm-hmm. it's really one of the most successful things i think about this movie uh-huh uh, we were just talking about the vogons and i love the character design of them in the movie yeah they're they're big they're slimy yeah they have big like jelly bean shaped bodies and like kind of stick arms they look like job of the hut a little bit a, a little bit yeah. yeah and i just like that they're physical costumes mm-hmm. and you can tell but you're okay with that yeah but they're really well done they are well done um and the heart of gold ship in this uh that picks up ford and arthur is also really cool in its design mm-hmm. it's just kind of this perfect white sphere yeah that kind of has this like uh exhaust vent like that runs straight through the middle of it mm-hmm. there's a lot of things it, there's not a ton of alien 
designs in this movie. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's a scene later where they're at like a DMV type thing where you mm-hmm. see a lot of other species. Uh, but for the most part, what they do create and use is really cool. Mm-hmm. And I really like that aspect uh, of this movie. Yeah. Just I think the movie doesn't uh, do it justice. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, they get picked up by the Heart of Gold ship, which this is where we meet two new characters, um, Trillian and Zaphod. And which one should we talk about first? Zaphod, maybe? I was going to say Trillian because she's introduced first in the movie. Let's talk about Zaphod a bit. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So he's the president of the galaxy, and he's this two-headed alien who is kind of like this wacky, hippie, crazy type guy yeah he's kind of just (sighs) he's like a partier you know and they talk about how it's perfect it's perfect for him to be president because really the point of the president is just to like distract everyone while the actual galaxy is being run by other people so you know he does all these crazy stunts he's just like says whatever comes to mind and so he's the perfect president he's just a figurehead yeah and ford's Mm -hmm. line like you said I, I think it's so perfect i think he said like the president doesn't have any power he yeah. just distracts from those who do mm-hmm. um so yeah in in the book he has two heads on his shoulder yeah and a third arm mm-hmm. and he's really interesting in the book yeah uh honestly the most interesting character kind of fleshed out character among any of them yeah uh he uh, trillion another character we'll talk about mm-hmm. uh when talking about him says like I don't know if he plays dumb sometimes because he's lazy. Yeah. I don't know if he's playing dumb to kind of get the upper hand on people. Yeah. Or if he's playing overly dumb because he actually doesn't know, but he's kind of feeding into that. Yeah, it's so funny. It's perfect. And he kind of has this presence of being kind of a mad genius. Yeah. Like half of the stuff that happens, he'll do on the spur of the moment and it works out Mm -hmm. or he is just way smarter than he lets on. Yeah. Or maybe or he's just smarter lucky. than he even knows himself. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he has stolen the heart of gold. He was president and they made this new um, ship that has this improbability drive, which lets you travel faster than even hyperspeed. So um, it basically he, lets you teleport. I yeah. Think. It lets you kind of like instantly teleport um, using improbability. And, so he stole it and picked up Trillian and they've been trying to cavorting around the galaxy since. And they pick up Arthur and Ford. Yeah. Uh, the movie version, though. Yeah. Of Zaphod. Of Zaphod is really it's after reading the book, it's the most disappointing part of the movie. Yeah, he is so overplayed. Not only did they not do the book character justice, they created a character that is so obnoxious and so goofy that he just is in front of the camera all the time and just distracting from every scene. And he's so much. Mm -hmm. And they took the idea. It's so funny because in the book, the two-headed thing is rarely acknowledged. No. Mm -mm. And certainly not really played for gags very often. Uh, But in the movie, it just becomes this whole shtick with... He doesn't. He only has one visible head. Yeah. But then a second head pops up from from his neck. From his neck, it's kind of weird. And it just like has all these weird lines, and it's just like like <laughs> popping out. <laughs> it, it's so because um, Zaphod is already an over the top wacky person, obnoxious 
like he's just too much. Yeah. And so I don't the gag though is supposed to be that like the second head that pops is up even is even more obnoxious. I guess it's yeah. honestly tough to tell because the first one is so annoying. Yeah. That the the shtick of what they're trying to do doesn't even come across. Yeah. It, it's real weird. I don't, and also it's like did you really want to like save on CGI <laughs> so much that you only have the head pop out like occasionally. I don't know. I'm sure that was part of it. Yeah. I'm sure part of it was also, they were like, Oh, it'll pop up and it'll be funny. Yeah. Uh, and Does I, not work for me. I generally like Sam Rockwell. Yeah. He though, after Adina, you <laughs> told me that. Yeah. I've only seen him when he's a dick in movies <laughs> like Iron Man, uh, Mr. Right. Oh my God. He's it's Mr. Right is so bad. Yeah. And he's a dick in this movie too. So I like my only experience with him is just being like this swaggering asshole. And those are definitely not his good movies, but talking about it, I'm like, he is kind of a hit or miss actor. Yeah. I think he is a good actor. I just don't think he's the best at choosing his roles. Yeah. And this is no exception. He just, and it's really interesting. I was reading that in IMDb, the trivia, all of the names of people that were also being considered for the role, yeah, including like Jim Carrey and mm. Bill Murray and all these really big Robert comedians. Downey Jr., Johnny yeah. Depp. And so I don't know if Sam Rockwell was like trying to match the charisma of Jim Carrey or trying to elevate. I, I don't know. Yeah. I'm probably trying to read into it too much, but... Yeah, um, and then so the other character is Trillian, mm-hmm. and you find out you find out that everyone basically knows each other. So Zaphod and Ford are semi cousins. Yeah. Uh, so they're related. They actually grew up together when they were younger. And then Arthur has met both Trillian and Zaphod before. So Arthur met Trillian, whose name was Trisha before Trisha McMillian before <laughs> she uh, hitched a ride with Zaphod. And so she changed it to Trillian to sound more space-like. <laughs> we were actually introduced to Trillian in a flashback mm-hmm. earlier in the movie. Yeah. When uh, Arthur's at the bar, mm-hmm. he tells Ford about this girl he met at a party who was so charismatic and fun. And yeah. he like... Fell in love with her like instantly yeah. almost. Yeah, and it cuts to this party where they're talking and everything. They're at a costume party and it's just this awful scene of the two of them <sighs> talking about stuff. And then... Okay, so Trillian's played by Zoe Deschanel. Yeah, and honestly, I think this was the beginning of her being typecast yeah. as the manic pixie dream girl. Yeah. And I was telling, oh my God, if this movie came out now, yeah. I would have thought that they were purposefully doing a, a parody mock, yeah. Yeah, of the manic pixie dream girl. Because it's so strong. Because they're talking at the party, mm-hmm. and she's dressed as Darwin. Yeah. And they're talking about, like, Madagascar. And yeah. she's like, oh, we should totally go to Ma- Madagascar. Yeah. And he's, like, laughing. Oh, ha, ha. oh, yeah, that's good. And then she's serious. Yeah. And he, he obviously, he's like, yeah, I don't know if I want to go to Madagascar. Like, we just met. We and just also, met. I have a job and stuff. And she's like, just quit your job and get a new one when you come back. Like, let's just experience life. I'm spontaneous. I'm so cute. I'm... I'm this manic pixie dream girl <laughs> is so strong. She's just like, let's just pack up and go to Madagascar and I'll change your like very dull life and bring meaning to it. I am just like, no. It's so, so over the top with that yeah. trope. 
Yeah. And this is the part where Zaphod comes in and he's basically like, hey, want to see my spaceship? And then she's like, oh, wow, he's so much more interesting. And I'll go with him instead of Arthur. And (laughs) he actually took me even farther than Madagascar. We went to space. So that's why I like him more. (laughs) Yeah. And so this immediately in the movie. Yeah, in the movie. Starts off this whole love arc between yeah. Arthur and Trillian. Which is so dumb and I hate it. It is. And that that's the part that I was like, this was definitely like some executive of the yeah. production company is like, we need a, we need love, a story love story angle. Oh my God. And I've never seen a more unwanted or undeserved <laughs> or likable love arc. Yeah. Or one that like doesn't even make any sense. It's, no. It doesn't fit into the story at all. And it's just, Arthur's like, oh, you know, ever since that party, I've been like, really down about it and I know that I should have been with her but we didn't she went off with some other guy and in the book it was like there is that connection that they met at a party and he was trying to talk to her because she was pretty and funny and interesting and then she ends up going off with another guy which is Zaphod and they acknowledge that but it's not really they only use it in that one scene where they all meet and so it's like kind of awkward and Trillian kind of gives him a oh hey Arthur like what's up type thing um, but it is so overly dramatic in the movie. Yeah, yeah. And like I said, this movie was one of Zoe Deschanel's first. It came after Elf. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. But this may have started her typecasting in this role, so. Yeah, she really suffers. And it's interesting because in the book, Trillian is an astrophysicist. Um, so she is very smart, and that's kind of why she loves being on the ship and loves being in space yeah. and all this type of thing. And, and she's also a mathematician. So she's a really smart person and they don't play down her intelligence in the movie really, but they just reduce her to the romantic interest. Yeah. And they don't explain it either. Cause she's on this ship and you, we were talking about the timeline where like the party was only like a week ago. Right. Yeah. But she feels very comfortable and normal on this ship I'm and like, knows how to use everything. Was she an alien or maybe she was picked up a long time ago. Yeah. And I, this was kind of, uh, there's a lot of parts in this movie that... Are not explained. No, it kind of takes it for granted that maybe you've seen or read the book. Yeah. Uh, but it doesn't bother to explain anything a whole lot, so... Mm-hmm. And yeah, Arthur tells her about, like, the Earth being destroyed, and she's also kind of like, wow, that sucks. And then they all quickly move on. Mm-hmm. In the movie, Zaphod doesn't want Arthur to tell her, and it's this whole, like thing where they're keeping it from her and it honestly doesn't really make sense also arthur's more upset about her being with zaphod yeah he's like really annoyed about it he's He's more annoyed and i'm just realizing this now that she's alive and with zaphod than if she was just dead yeah (laughs) (laughs) he's not like wow i'm so glad you went off with zaphod because now you're alive and like another human that's here yeah that i can connect with but you're a human i can't fuck now yeah he's like uh... really like ticked off at her and he's like oh, you went off with that guy Meh. i'm sorry it is so bad i can't yeah, it's handle real it. bad it honestly hurts the story tremendously yeah uh, and this is where the story diverges from the book quite a bit yeah um so in the book their motivations are zaphod tells everyone i stole this ship and i want to find this planet mythical planet this mythical planet called magarthia yeah yes okay magrathia magrathia damn it it's gonna be frequent yeah uh, mcgrathia where apparently they used to manufacture other planets mm-hmm. like millions of years ago before the economy tanked yeah <laughs> <laughs> and 
Um, so his goal is to find that. And there's like riches there or hidden treasure. He yeah. Wants. Yeah. And he's kind of, yeah, he's not even. His st- motivation is unclear a little. It, it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, the movie, though, he tells a different story about a supercomputer that was created to find the meaning of life. Yeah. And. On that planet, I think, or. Yeah. Somewhere. But then that supercomputer, it's a story that the book goes into later. Yeah. So it's kind of tough to to talk about both now because both ants you know they're almost swapped yeah the computers introduced almost before mcgrathia yeah in the movie mm-hmm. whereas in the book it's about mcgrathia until you find out about this computer yeah uh so it, it gets a little complicated to talk about but yeah there's a computer basically there's a computer that has the answer to the meaning of life and so they're kind of trying to find this computer mm-hmm. in the movie and they end up going to a random ass planet first though mm-hmm. yeah they they detour in, in the book they go straight to mcgrathia yeah in the movie though they detour to another planet uh to well so the 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 ship the heart of gold yeah uh the way it works is it kind of randomly teleports you places yeah i think you can con- kind of control it i'm a little hazy on the exact yeah logic of it mm-hmm. but they end up at a random planet and Zaphod wants to he's like oh hey let's stop here I need to like talk to this guy and it's the guy that he ran against in his uh election, election to become president who's his name is uh Hama Kavula mm-hmm. played by uh John Malkovich in yeah. the movie mm-hmm. and so it's interesting because like this character is actually specifically created by Douglas Adams in the script to be an extra character and another storyline in the movie because he did write the original script for the movie um so he's sort of a weird i mean he's a weird ass character so yeah he they kind of play him off as being creepier yeah which is kind of a weird tonal shift Mm -hmm. in the movie that he's suddenly this weird creepy scary guy half yeah uh although he is a leader of like a religious organization it's pretty funny (laughs) yeah does feel like it's from douglas adams yeah uh where it's a group that thinks the universe was created the big bang was created by the sneeze of another being yeah and they're awaiting the great handkerchief to like (laughs) erase the universe again yeah and this is another production thing their robes in the movie like (laughs) they're in like a a complete hood but there's a slit that like their nose is sticking out of uh it's 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 funny the premise of it is funny and that group is funny but john malkovich's role was forgettable and not great yeah and it's interesting because Douglas Adams was a extreme atheist, so I think that's part of his joke <laughs> on what he thinks of as religion as being this ultimate joke, um, kind of poking fun at that. Yeah. Uh, so uh, John Malkovich's character tells them that he wants a gun, a yeah. weapon that is on this planet they're trying to find. Mm-hmm. And he has the coordinates to the planet. Yeah, and he'll only give it to them if they agree to get the gun. Mm-hmm. And his bargain, he's like, I need to make sure that you come back. So I need to take something from you. Yeah. And so he removes uh, uh, Zaphod's second head. Yeah. And that's luckily the end of Zaphod's second head. Yeah, we never see that again. (laughs) Unfortunately, it's not the end of Zaphod. No. And now he's like stupider now with his like second head gone. Now he's just like drunk. All the time. This is like the problem with his character is between 
his his main personality is so strong and weird yeah and like kind of undetermined mm-hmm. but they do different twists with him like oh he has a second head yeah now the second head's gone and he's kind of drunk. Yeah. And then there's another part later where they put a helmet on him. Yeah. To make him smarter. Yeah. But he just, I'm like, I can't get a grip on what he's like. No, and they're just dragging him around for the rest of the movie because he's so dumb he can't like figure out anything. So mm-hmm. I, yeah, it's just like, I don't know if they just didn't know what to do with him and they're like, okay, he's stupid now. And now they're just like pulling him along. Yeah. Uh, so... They are leaving after making this deal. Yeah. And the Vogons are chasing them. The Vogons attack because Mm -hmm. they've been after them ever since they like escaped. Yeah. And they attack and they manage to capture Trillian. uh, Trillian. Mm -hmm. And now the manic pixie dream girl is the damsel in distress. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And then there's this whole like rescue Trillian storyline. And this is a good time to talk about another character that was created specifically for the movie by Douglas Adams, which is the vice president. And she is like in love with Safad, and that's her whole character. She's kind of, just yeah. like with the Vogons because she's trying to chase after Zaphod. She's like, Zaphod, come back, come back. Let's be presidents together, you know? And she's like really annoyed at Trillian because Zaphod's with her. And there's this whole scene where they're going to like feed Trillian to this like monster that's going to eat her. And she's like, oh, I hate her. She's so thin and pretty. And I'm like, oh, my God. Oh, yeah, she does say that. So awful. It's like, wow, let's have a female vice president. And her only motivation (laughs) or character will be that she's in love with the president and hates on other women. There's a lot of weird kind of sexism. Oh, there's a lot of weird sexism. Yeah. And it's funny because there's not even, I didn't get anything like that from the book no, at all. No, not at all. Yeah, this this whole storyline is not even part of the book. In, in the book, they just go straight to Margrathia and avoid all this nonsense. Yeah. And it's like everything that was interjected into this movie, that's where like all of these sexist kind of elements come from. Yeah. So I... It's it's bad. It's yeah. bad news. Yeah. But they rescue Trillian and it's just like this scene where they have to fill out all this paperwork in order to save her. And it's like, oh, it's funny because it's, it's paperwork. Of, yeah, it's kind of a shtick. It could yeah. have been. I like the idea of like the bureaucratic humor. Yeah. It just wasn't well implemented. And this was another thing where they're on the run from the Vogons, but they managed to go to their planet and go through this dmv type situation yeah and the president or uh uh zaphod is literally like i'm the president to distract everyone yeah and i'm not saying i, I know logic is like one of the last things this movie's concerned oh, yeah. about <laughs> but it gets to a point where if nothing the characters do has matters, consequences yeah what am i watching why do i care about any of it yeah like why aren't they trying to capture him if some of the vogons are trying to capture him and he can be like oh i'm the president and then they can file paperwork and then release trillian i don't know yeah they get her out and then escape it, it just you know one of those things consequences are totally out the window in a way yeah so now they're finally going to Magrathia. To Magrathia. And we're back into the book. Yeah. Storyline. Kind of. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> as much as this movie does. Yeah. And there's also another character we haven't really talked about that much. Um, he's a robot. It's Marvin the Paranoid Android. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm so disappointed because he's voiced in the movie by Alan Rickman. Yeah. Perfect. Perfect, perfect casting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But 
he's another character that is just a one note character yeah. in the movie. And about partway through at about, about this point in the movie, yeah. I was just tired of him. Cause when you can predict all what of the jokes say. and all yeah. of what he's going to say, it's just not funny anymore. Yeah. His whole thing is that he's really depressed with life. Like they mm-hmm. tried to make robots with genuine people personalities <laughs> and his is just that he hates life. And, and he he's was really like a depressed. prototype. He yeah. says, <laughs> uh, yeah. And the book, he's not much different. No, in the he's book. pretty, yeah, but you know, there is a slight difference. And at the beginning, when I read this, I'm like, that's what the movie version could have used a little bit. Oh really? What? Well, at the, at the beginning when he's going on about like, uh, the inevitability and like the, futility of life and all this stuff and then he's like i'm not bringing you guys down am i and they also be like no marvin you're fine yeah. it's like i'd really hate to bring you down <laughs> it's really i like that little twist to it where he doesn't he is depressing but he kind of doesn't want to be yeah and then everyone has to be really reassuring and to pretend him. that he's not that depressing yeah and i'm like just that type that slight twist of it would have helped the movie version because it's like a dynamic, an interesting dynamic. Yeah. And there's more than just him being like saying depressing things to everyone. Mm-hmm. And they really use him a lot in the movie. I just think because, oh, it's a funny and I like his design. That's yeah. another design in the movie that I re- he's got this huge head. He's yeah. kind of a squat body. He like walks really slowly and mm-hmm. like depressingly. It's fun. Yeah. The character design is perfect for that character, but just one note and bland. Yeah. So they get to Margrathia and they're trying to approach the planet and the planet is basically like, you're not supposed to come here. And so it fires two missiles at them. Mm-hmm. And they're trying to fly away and they decide to use the improbability drive. Yeah. Arthur actually just presses it because he's like, we're going to die. And he's like, <laughs> what, what's the worst that could happen? And I guess it's, we should probably mention like about the improbability drive. Yeah. Uh, it's so it creates increasing... Uh, improbability so yeah. random things begin to happen mm-hmm. to the point where they say the ship theoretically could be anywhere and that's kind of how it teleports yeah and then the improbability kind of like goes back to normal back to normal mm-hmm. uh, and I do like how they showed this in the movie yeah uh, in the movie the ship would just randomly like turn into turn into something. different objects yeah and sometimes it would hang as one object for a little bit yeah. like at one point it's a a ball of yarn with yes. knitting needles and and they're all yarn people inside yeah and i, I like that it's a pretty clever funny way it's kind of mm-hmm. a good gag to get that across mm-hmm. um the movie though or i'm sorry the book they only really have one major uh, teleportation. Yeah. But it's way crazier. It's when Ford and Arthur are first picked up yeah. by the ship. Mm-hmm. And it's just, they're somewhere else and there's monkeys and there's, yeah. it's just insanity. Um, <laughs> so I really, I, I enjoyed both, both versions yeah. uh, quite a bit, but they decide to use the, the improbability drive mm-hmm. when the missiles are going to hit them. And because of improbability or whatever, the ship, nothing happens to it. No. But the two missiles, one gets turned into a pot of petunias. Yeah. And the other gets turned into a sperm whale. Yeah. And in the book, like, it rearranges the whole ship. And they're just, like, in this, like, luxury spa, but it's still a ship. (laughs) Yeah, it's kind of like an outdoor garden. Like, the entire interior of the ship changes randomly with, like, potted plants and, like, mosaic pathway tiles and everything. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then... The, the sperm whale and the flowers fall to the earth. Yeah. And there's a great part that is in the book that they and kept in the, in the movie. movie. Yeah, it was, and I like it in the movie. It's really yeah, funny. Yeah, it's one of those instances where I'm like, this is that weird, quirky humor. Yeah. 
that when you pull it straight from the book, it, it works. Yeah, and they did do it well. And it's like, as the whale was falling from the sky to the earth, to the ground, they were like, this is what went through his head as he was falling. And it's just him being like, oh my God, what's happening? Who am I? What am I doing? What am I? You know? Yeah, it's him like trying to figure out his own personal identity yeah. in like the 10 seconds he has free falling. And then he just smashes to the ground <laughs> and dies. <laughs> it's great. Yeah. And then they, the, they were like, and the only thing that went through the mind of the <clears throat> pot of t- petunias was, oh no, not again. <laughs> and they were like, if like researchers have argued that if they could figure out why this went through the petunias, we would know much more about the universe. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so they land on the, sh- on the planet and this is where they kind of split up. Yeah. Where they leave, they, in the book, they leave Arthur behind to with kinda, Marvin, with Marvin to kind of watch the ship and everything. Yeah. Uh, and they go into the like into the surface of the planet where everything has, happens down inside the planet. So yeah, to explore it. Zafad, Trillian, and Ford all go to explore the planet. And in the movie, and this kind of goes back to not think things not being explained well. Yeah, earlier, like and it, assuming that you've read the book because otherwise you'll have no idea what's happening. Because at this point we know nothing about this planet having yeah. pro- made other planets. Yeah. So they go through, there are these wormholes, mm-hmm. I guess, like these teleportation things that the three of them go through. Yeah, and jump then through. And Arthur's going to follow, and he waits too long, I guess. And it like turns off. And it closes, and so he's stuck behind. Yeah. And I guess everyone else just doesn't care. But you don't know where they're going, or like yeah. why they're going through these teleportation wormhole things, so. Yeah, it, so while Arthur's behind, it's same in book and movie, he meets... Oh boy. Oh, Slarda Bartfest. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was reading about this and apparently uh, Douglas Adams tried to create like the goofiest sounded na- sounding name that sounded inappropriate yeah. without directly being inappropriate. So he could still broadcast it on the yeah. BBC. And apparently yeah. it started something that sounded like fuck farts or something. <laughs> and then he kept kind of like changing it, changing it until they were like, okay, you can say that on the air. <laughs> yeah. He meets Slaughter Bartfast, who is a, a native to Margrathia. And he tells Arthur all about how, they manufactured planets and how they've all been kind of like asleep and they're waiting for the economy to be back in full swing so they can start manufacturing planets again. Yeah. And so he kind of gives uh, Arthur a tour yeah. and shows him like this huge, and it's a cool scene in the movie. Yeah. I like they're going, they're on this little uh, trolley elevator thing uh-huh. and just flying past all these planets mm-hmm. and the construction and everything. Yeah, they say that like the inside of the planet has like a gateway to this vast field of hyperspace. So it's like a gateway to somewhere else, but mm-hmm. it's still like inside the planet technically. So that's how they can build these actual planets and still do it on their planet. Yeah, and this is where Arthur discovers that they're building another Earth. Yeah. Uh and obviously he's a little confused by this. Uh-huh. And we get into the explanation in the book more. Yeah. Uh, that mice on Earth were in fact the dominant smartest life form. Yeah. And then dolphins and then humans. And then dolphins and humans. <laughs> and that the mice were actually paradimensional beings. Yes. So the mice were the ones that created 
well, they're not really mice. They're kind of other creatures that were taking the form, taking the form of mice. Mm-hmm. They were the ones who created the supercomputer, yeah. wanting an answer to the meaning of life. Yeah. And the computer uh, needed like seven million years. Seven million years to come up with an answer. So in seven million years, they go up to the computer and the computer tells them the answer is 42. <laughs> and they don't understand it. And then the computer's kind of like, well, it would make sense if you knew what the question was, what the real question was. And they're like, oh. <laughs> and so the uh, computer tells them that in order to ask the question, it's building a computer. Yeah. And that computer is Earth. Yeah. And Earth is this advanced biological computer. Yeah, that's running this 10 million year program to find out the question of life. And so this is kind of why the mice exist on Earth. They're kind of like watching over it and watching over the people. Doing experiments on humans. (laughs) Yeah. And so that's why the mice are recommissioned for another Earth to be built. Yeah. Because it didn't get through the calculations. It was five minutes away. (laughs) From from the program finishing. When Earth was blown up. Yeah. (laughs) So they're having to rebuild it for that purpose. Mm -hmm. And while this is happening with Arthur... Zaphod, Trillian, and Ford are exploring the planet on their own. And Zaphod has this moment in the book where he's talking to Trillian and Ford, and he's saying how he's figured out that he actually isolated a corner of his brain from the rest of his brain. So he has like this higher purpose of stuff going on in his mind that he's not even aware of. Yeah. He's like making decisions. He's following them. Yeah. Following through, but he's not certain why he's making them or what it means. But he knows that he set it up that way. It's really cool. Yeah. He takes scans of his brain. Yeah. And is trying to figure out what's wrong with him. Yeah. Until he eventually figures out that like part of his neurons were like fried and like Uh separated from others. Yeah. And he finds out that he did it to himself. Mm -hmm. And he doesn't even know why he did it specifically. Yeah. And you have this whole backstory about um, how Ford and Zaphod, when they were kids, ran into this guy who ended up being the president before Zaphod and how he talked to him and gave him some kind of idea. And then he did this own thing to his brain. And you kind of figure out that he sort of has this higher purpose of stealing the heart of gold, but he doesn't even really know why he did it. He just follows along with what with what's happening and accepts that part of him is making these decisions <laughs> without him. <laughs> yeah, and that's a huge needed explanation in the book. Yeah. Because in the movie, you're like, why did he steal this ship? Yeah, is he just, oh, he's wacky, you yeah, know? Yeah, and he says he wants to find this computer for fame and wealth. Yeah. Yeah, but why did you need the ship? yeah. It just, uh, and you know, this goes back to Zaphod being one of the more fleshed out characters of this book, which yeah. is really interesting. I really like him as a character. Yeah. Like more than anyone, I want to read more of the books to kind of like find out. Find out more about Zaphod. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Um, so in the movie, in the movie <laughs> <laughs> we get into one of the worst parts. Yeah. Where they discover the gun that uh, John Malkovich, I'm just going to call him John Malkovich, yeah. <laughs> that he needed. Uh-huh. And it's a point, point of, of view. view gun where... If you shoot someone with it, that person gets your point of view. 
Mm-hmm. And the Hitchhiker's Guide kindly tells us that it was created by angry housewives who couldn't stand their husbands, like, not helping or doing anything. Because women are such mysterious creatures, and no one will ever understand them without a special fancy space gun. Uh, this scene just starts a domino effect of groans from me. Like, yeah, it's just a bunch of people shooting the gun at each other, and it... And it ends with Trillian shooting Zaphod. Zaphod, and he suddenly realizes, like, oh my god, you're so sick of men and them not understanding you and you just maybe you maybe found the right man but then let him go and you're worried that it's too late and it's this whole setting up more of this romantic subplot that she's really in love with Arthur but she feels bad about leaving him for Zaphod and she's realizing that Zaphod is shitty and now she wants to be back with Arthur because he's the real nice guy this movie literally makes you feel like you're going insane yeah because you're like did I miss a scene what the fuck is going on like is this is this gonna be some kind of weird goofy joke or I don't know like so much of it is just completely unearned this relationship between Trillian and Arthur. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And in the book, it's nothing. Like, even Trillian and Zaphod don't really... Like, they, they seem like they're together, but they're not really... It's just, like, the four of them on an adventure, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and this whole point of view gun was just... I don't even know what the purpose of it is. Like, what made them think to include it. Yeah. It's very random. It's really dumb. I hate it. So, they... There's kind of a... So, Arthur in the movie... Arthur, uh, they go onto Earth, yeah, onto the surface of Earth, the New Earth, the New Earth, and he finds out they rebuilt his home for him, mm-hmm. and he goes in the house, and there's Trillian and Zaphod, Zaphod and, and Ford, and he's like, "Oh, guys," and they're all eating food and kind of being weird, yeah, being all weird, it's kind of a weird scene yeah. at first, and then the mice are there. This is where, and up until this point in the movie, you don't know about the mice yet, yeah. And then Arthur is caught by them. He's mm-hmm. like, he sits in a chair and he gets strapped in. And this is where you find out the mice are sentient. Mm-hmm. And they want his, they need his brain yeah. for the calculations. Mm-hmm. One, yet another thing that is like, what are they talking about? I don't yeah, get it. Yeah, it doesn't really make sense. And the mice came from Trillian's bag? They, like, stowed away on her bag? Once, oh my god, yeah, so in a scene earlier on the ship, when they're in the middle of some kind of evasion or something, uh, Trillian's bag gets knocked over, and just two mice come out, and she's like, hey! What is that? Weird. And I I don't, you, you don't know if they're her pets, if they were just mice that got into her bag. Yeah. And then they kind of just like keep popping up in gags. Like, oh, at one point they're eating the, the wires of the ship. And so yeah. the ship is confused. Mm-hmm. Or they're just running around. Yeah. And in the book, they are actually Trillian's pets that she has been keeping this whole time. And she insisted that they come with her on her ship when she went with Zaphod. So it's like an actual explanation for why there are mice here. <laughs> actual reasoning and explanation. Yeah. You know what's so funny? I read on IMDb that they said Douglas Adams did a lot of the writing for this script. Yeah. And then the other writer they brought in was just there to give it more coherence. Uh-oh. I was like, are you shitting me? There's no <laughs> way that that was the purpose of no, that No, they were like, this is too weird. We need you to like Hollywood it up for us. Put in a love story. Make the characters more funny and wacky. Like, Yeah, I'm like, 
coherence was definitely not what that other writer was doing because there's none of it in here. Yeah. And even in the book too, like they end up all together meeting the mice um, and the mice do the same thing. They say that he, they need his brain and Arthur's like, no, you can't have my brain. I need it. And so he's kind of running away from them and they all sort of like escape and evade the mice. But in the movie, <laughs> they strap Arthur in. Yeah. And then they, this crazy, goofy contraption pops up with like saw blades like and a, a drill. Saw. Yeah. And they're going to like cut off the top of his head. And he's trying to like negotiate with them. Yeah. And he's like, I'll give you the, the, the question that you want. He's coming up just, with random questions. Yeah. Just make one up. Yeah. Uh, he's coming up with stuff. And then he goes on his own personal tangent of self discovery about how. Maybe Trillian was the one he should have been with. And the only question that matters is, is she the one? Yeah. I'm not making it up. That's what he says. Oh. Yeah. You're like, you met her at a party for like 10 minutes and now you've been traveling with her and it's just, it was, it's really weird. Is this whole like romantic moment for him, but it just doesn't fit with the rest of the story at all. And I get it in the way of they wanted to give Arthur the main character more of a plot arc than yeah. he gets in the book because yeah. I get that he doesn't really have a story in the book he's sort of just along for the ride yeah and in the movie you kind of need someone to be more of the uh person the audience yeah to kind of be introduced character. and yeah. you kind of want an arc and it's not a terrible one you know the whole Madagascar thing is so ridiculous but the <laughs> idea of him not wanting having to be- a mix a missed connection and then he meets her in space like it's not a well, terrible and i was idea. gonna say not wanting to be adventurous yeah and go do new things mm-hmm. and it kind of ties into the end of the movie yeah um but uh, it just it just does not work the love and you could do, have done that arc without the love story yeah he could have had him just grow and be more adventurous and mm-hmm. you know decide that he wants to take risks and kind of explore the universe more yeah. without having to fall in love with Trillian for no reason. <laughs> so so in the movie they escape the mice but they're still on earth on his house. The new earth, yeah. The new earth. And that's when the Vogons show up cuz yeah. they've kind of been chasing the whole time. The whole time. They show up and they're surrounding the house mm-hmm. and they're being shot at yeah. and just kind of you know, they're just being shot at. And Marvin manages to get a hold of the point of view gun. Yeah. And he shoots it at all the Vogons. Uh-huh. And suddenly they're just like. They fall over and they're oh. like, oh, I'm so depressed. <laughs> it's, it's funny. I like it that. It is. Mm-hmm. Um, for as dumb as the point of view gun is as a plot device. It works well with Marvin. <laughs> I, yeah, I enjoyed that at the end. Um, and so. Then they're talking to, I cannot remember. Slarda Bartfast. Slarda Bartfast. And Slarda Bartfast is asking like, oh, is there anything you want to change about the earth? We're almost done. But, you know, what do you have? You know, is there anything you didn't like before or want removed? And Arthur kind of thinks about it. And he's like, yeah, me. I don't want to. He's like, I want to go out into space and have adventures. Yeah, I don't want to be here on this new Earth. And so he and Trillian and Ford kind of go off in their ship to have more adventures. And Zaphod ends up back with the vice president. The only character moment for her, or any moment for her, <laughs> she's like, oh, Zaphod, we're together again. You're stupid now, but that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> and they're leaving and uh, they're like, oh, there's a restaurant at the end of the universe. Mm-hmm. And so... And oh my god, I this is one of those moments where I could I predicted 
what was going to happen where they started flying off in one direction and Marvin says, I don't want to, you know, yeah. interrupt, but it's actually on the other end of the universe. And I, in my head, I'm like, there's going to be a tire screech sound effect. Oh. <laughs> and sure enough, you're yeah. the, Oh my God. I was like, no. <laughs> uh, but that's where the movie ends pretty mm-hmm. much. And they never get Zaphod's other head back. No. <laughs> like, un- unless it's implied that they went... But no, because they were going straight to the restaurant. Yeah, I don't know. They just left it. I'm yeah. fine with that. But They kind of just like forgot about it, or they just don't care anymore. I don't know. Maybe I... they like him better as stupidly drunk. I don't know. Maybe. So, uh, But where the movie ends up, they're... a lot of the same kind of beats happen, where they're trying to escape uh, some police. Yeah, they're just escaping police who are after them because Zaphod stole the ship, the Heart of Gold. Mm-hmm. And... Um, then the police, all of a sudden they're wearing, um, like a life support system and their computer life support system just fries. So they die instantly. And then they go back to their ship and the heart of gold is sitting next to a police ship and the police ship has also exploded. And they're like, what happened? (laughs) And Marvin's like laying on the ground all upset. They're like, Marvin, what happened? And he's like, everyone hates me. They're like, not everyone hates you, Marvin. He's like, the ship hated me. And he explains to them that he was really bored, so he plugged himself into the ship, the police ship, <laughs> and started talking to it and explained his outlook on life. And then the police ship committed suicide. <laughs> <laughs> the police ship blew itself up from it talking like, to Marvin. No. <laughs> which is, you know, Marvin ends up saving them yeah. in kind of a different way. So I, I still like that Marvin. They had that moment for Marvin, mm-hmm. which was great. And it's interesting because in the book, Earth is not finished yet. They still have to lay down the layer of the dinosaur skeletons <laughs> in the earth. And like, so it's not a finished earth yet. So they don't even really have the option to stay. Um, so they all go off together in the Heart of Gold ship. And they're like, oh, let's go to the restaurant at the end of the universe. And that's the end. Yeah. Yeah. So the age old question, <laughs> the premise of our show. Do we even need to ask the question in this one? Which yeah, one is the, better? It's <laughs> yeah, it's definitely the book. Yeah. And it's interesting because Douglas Adams did write the screenplay or the script for this. Um, but there was another writer who like changed and revised it before it was made into a movie. So we don't really know what stuff specifically was changed from Douglas Adams' yeah. original script. You know, you you we do know that, you know, the vice president and that John Malkovich character Douglas Adams created for the script. So that those are his creations. But we don't know if the vice president's storyline was that she was in love with Zaphod. Like did Douglas Adams put that in there or mm-hmm. was that changed, you know, with this revised screenplay? It's really hard to tell. And unfortunately, it coming out after Douglas Adams passed away, we may never, we'll probably never hear about. Yeah. We can only kind of assume what pieces were put together. Now, here's a question, though, that might be more interesting, since okay. we both clearly agree. That the book is better. That the book is better. Do you think a good adaptation of this material is possible? I don't think it's possible. Just because it's so, there's a lot of random asides, and the narrator of the book just sort of telling you all this random information that has nothing to do with the story or extra information that's about just the universe and the the world that they're in um but that's not part of the the plot of the story so Mm -hmm. yeah I and I think that would just get tiresome having a narrator do that for you like a lot so I don't know I just think 
it it works really well as a book and there and definitely I can totally see how it would work really well as a radio broadcast and it yeah. might be fun to actually listen to some of those broadcasts because I'm sure you know you get a good person to narrate it with a, a funnier dry tone of voice yeah and it would be really great and fun to listen to but as for visual I think well and we haven't seen the TV show either which no. I which I heard mm-hmm. honestly is a better yeah um adaptation so we might have to give that a watch yeah uh, I do think it's possible I think you you have to be fearless with it. Yeah. And because there are moments in this, you get glimpses of a humor that really kind of sticks what it out. Could be. Yeah. yeah. Like the scene with the whale falling. Yeah. They really committed to what was the, what the book interpretation of that was. Yeah. Because they cut to the whale and a voiceover occurs yeah. of every thought the whale is having as it's free falling. And mm-hmm. it's really funny. It's one of the more effective jokes in the, uh, in the movie. And, even the joke with the pan back of the yeah. ship at the very beginning. That's mm-hmm. a really great Monty Python-esque joke. You know, you get these bits and I think you just have to, I think if someone made an interpretation, which we'll probably never see now after this movie was such a, yeah, this movie was close enough in a lot of ways that I'm not sure, unless they make a TV show, yeah, a TV show might work, mm-hmm. but unless they do some kind of other interpretation of it, which I don't think they would. We'll, we'll probably not see another adaptation. I don't adaptation. think they would do one, yeah. Um, but I do think it is possible, like, if you, if, and, you know, once again, it's a big Hollywood, yeah, if it's a big Hollywood film. Like you said, film, to be fearless, to not yeah. have to put in a romantic story where it doesn't fit, or to have to make all these characters be, like, even wackier, or, like you said with the score, you know, have choices that aren't as conventional and safe I guess in Hollywood version exactly I think it is possible I just don't think we'll probably ever see it no. unfortunately Mm-mm. unless the TV show is amazing yeah I don't know should. a whole lot about it yeah. so mm-hmm. uh, yeah so let's go to lightning round lightning round okay so for the lightning round I do want to read this one bit of the book The book is so funny. So honestly, if you read any passage from it, it would be hilarious. But I'm going to read this part where um, Arthur is trying to accept and get his mind around the fact that the earth has been destroyed. And so he's trying to feel it in his mind and figure it out. And he it's like too much. It's too big for him to accept. So he's trying to he's thinking about it. He said, America, he thought, has gone. He couldn't grasp it. He decided to start smaller again. New York has gone. No reaction. He'd never seriously believed it existed anyway. The dollar, he thought, has sunk forever. Slight tremor there. Every Bogart movie has been wiped, he said to himself, and that gave him a nasty knock. McDonald's, he thought. There was no longer any such thing as a McDonald's hamburger. He passed out. When he came around a second later, he found he was sobbing for his mother. (laughs) And I love it, too, because right before that, he talks about his family, thinking about his family being gone, and he's like, yeah. No reaction. Can't <laughs> grasp it. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. It's, it's that books rarely make me laugh out loud, but mm-hmm. this had a few moments that were just fantastic. Laugh out loud, funny. Um, so we, we mentioned it briefly, but um, after Zaphod gets his head removed in the movie, and he's mm-hmm. even dumber, they put a helmet on him. Yeah. To make like, him smart make, again. Level, level him out, and they. 
it's got a juicer on the top of it and they squeeze lemons with it into the helmet and that somehow that makes him smart i don't know if i thought that was funny or stupid i don't know i couldn't like i don't know if it was just funny for this movie yeah and i was cutting it a break or if it was genuinely funny they just kept squeezing lemons on top of his head so yeah you know give a little bit of credit there there's this whole like aside or like diversion in the book where the narrator in the book talk about how this one character made it his mission to find out what happened to ballpoint pens because they always get lost <laughs> and how he like came up with this theory that in another dimension there was like a after whole talking planet. to Zaphod after, after talking to Zaphod drunkenly at a bar and I guess there were friends or something that there's a whole planet of ballpoint pens that are just living their best life with other ballpoint pens. And that's where they go to. They just like get pulled into that other dimension. (laughs) And they said he was like exiled for his crazy beliefs. Yeah. What? Meanwhile, Zaphod's secondhand ballpoint pen business business. was doing well. (laughs) (laughs) It's so wacky. I love it. Yeah. Um, there's a scene in the movie, only in the movie, I think, when yeah. they arrive on the Vogon planet to rescue Trillian, mm-hmm. where they're walking on a beach, and these things, and I kind of like how um, shitty the effect is, yeah. where it just looks like a stick with like a paddle on it, like, yeah. <laughs> pops out of the ground and hits them in the face, yeah. and it's kind of only happening sporadically at first, and yeah. they're like, what is it? What the hell's going on? And they find out that anytime they have a thought... It'll come up and or slap an original them. idea. Or an it original. Just... <laughs> so the, and there's just a moment they're like, "Quick, everyone, no one have a thought." There's just a long pause, and yeah. then like three, they all get hit at the same time. <laughs> um, I really actually liked this though. Thinking back, and I feel like this was a Douglas Adams inclusion because yeah. it makes sense because they talk about the Vogons, yeah, not evolving properly and yeah. kind of always being stupid. Uh-huh. And I'm like, that would make sense on a planet with those. Yeah, if you get slapped for ever having a thought, you would naturally evolve to just Be follow dumb. orders. Yeah. <laughs> so it makes sense, like in they're the so, evolution yeah. of the species. So with I thought them that was being so bureaucratic. Yeah. Yes, I thought that was actually really smart. Really on clever. Top of, yeah, yeah, just being a funny visual gag. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh my god! So other lightning round moment. Um, uh, <laughs> it's in a scene where <laughs> I can't even get through this. Yeah, Arthur is talking to Trillian and like talking about like how regretful he was that they didn't have a, a shot together or whatever. Yeah, and he's like, I really, he's like, I honestly wish that night that I had gone to Madagascar with you. I was like. What the fuck are you talking about? You'd both be dead. <laughs> you survived because she went with Zaphod. Zaphod and you were around to be with Ford later. You'd both be dead if you went with her. Why oh, are I you wish, regretful? I wish we went to Madagascar and then blew up together. It'd be so romantic. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, I'm like, did anyone think about this at all while they were writing it? No. Uh, okay. <laughs> okay, last right, lightning round thing. It's so funny because the Heart of Gold ship, the computer and like everything programmed in the ship is like really cheerful and happy all the time. And it just annoys the crap out of all the characters. Yeah. Like the computer specifically, <laughs> who's, his, whose name is Eddie, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, hi there, guys. I'd be happy to help you. They're like, just get us out of here. Yeah. Like, evade us. The missiles are coming. They're like, sure can do. Like every question <laughs> is followed up with like, that yeah. kind of response and Marvin especially just Hates cannot it. every time like a door opens yeah it makes pa- this like happy sigh like ah, ah. he's like oh. kill me <laughs> so those are our uh, lightning round moments yep I think that wraps it up for 
this episode. It's been a fun time experiencing Douglas Adams. Mm-hmm. I definitely want to try reading another book of his, possibly. Yeah, like I definitely want to read a Restaurant at the End of the Universe. Yeah. Almost, especially because of Zaphod's character in the book. Mm-hmm. Like I want to know more about him and like this weird, him not knowing his motives, yeah. but having known them. And mm-hmm. it's a really interesting uh, character set up. Yeah, and Douglas Adams's humor and writing is so great. I love it. It's so funny. It's so clever. Yeah, especially for 1979. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. Like, I I can see how this book has affected so much. Oh, yeah. Uh, in terms of comedy and sci-fi, and especially the combination of those two. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, like we were saying, Rick and Morty. Yes, I'm yes. sure people Draws on that show bit. are mm-hmm. fans of Douglas Adams. So uh, definitely check out the book. And if you want to laugh. Yeah. Watch uh, the movie. Not in the best way. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there are good parts, you know. There are. It's and, a mixed it, bag. and it's interesting to compare and contrast. But, yeah. you know. Uh, yeah. So uh, send us an email at coveredcreditspod at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, send us any suggestions or anything that uh, you might want us to talk about. Yeah. Have you read Douglas Adams? Have you seen the movie? What do you think? Um, also, Tell us we're idiots. We don't get it. <laughs> follow us on Twitter. And at, publicly shame us. At cover2credits. That's the number two mm-hmm. on Twitter. And then find us on Facebook as well. Yeah. Uh, and also leave us a review on iTunes. Yes. Uh, that is the other thing. Uh, the <laughs> iTunes reviews really help, even if it's just a star rating. Yeah. It helps other people to be able to see our podcast and mm-hmm. hopefully listen to it. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, thanks to Bob Kieran and Actual Size uh, for providing our audio equipment. And we'll see you next time. So long and thanks for all the fish. So sad it had to come to this. (laughs) So long. Bye. (laughs)